for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. I'm here. Bruce Hello, Strong, neighbor. John, John Palmer. We got Doc in the studio with hey, us. Good to be uh, here. Helping us out on starters. And we've got uh, Nick Burton. He's he's joined us here, uh, uh, a neighbor and a uh, friend of mine. Kind of uh, playing Joe the home brewer here. Yeah, he, he come to sit in with us. And, of course, we got Justin, I don't know, twiddling his knobs or something like that. I don't know. Twiddle boy, twiddle. It's <laughs> what I do best. Well, I want to show you guys something. Check this out. <laughs> Make Quaker. <laughs> About that label. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> yeah, this uh, this, this guy, uh, he, 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 mug there. he brewed uh, the, the oatmeal stout recipe from, from the Brewing Classic Styles book, which you can pick up in the uh, Brewing, Brewing Network store, yep. signed by both uh, John Palmer and myself. And uh, so he put put this label together, and it's got uh, you know like a Quaker Oats looking guy, and he put my face on it, and I t- <laughs> just cracked me up. It took, it took me a Every second. I thought it was a very cool looking label. Yeah. It took me a second to realize hey, that face is wrong. Yeah, I showed it to my wife. She's like, ah, it's hilarious. Yeah, you make a good looking Quaker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I got the like you know. It doesn't look like uh, inappropriate at all. Like, uh, you know, I'm old enough to to wear that hair and that uh, that hat. You know, very good. It very just, good. Just fits totally. Well, how does it taste? Haven't tasted. That's why I brought it. I really crack it Excellent. open. Give that, give that cold? Thing a taste during the show. <clears throat> yeah, it's cold. It's ready to go. That's the oatmeal stout uh, recipe from the book. There it goes. Oh, we've been enjoying uh, a number of other great beers here, which is. One of the things we enjoy uh, on show day, and you know, must be able to imbibe while working. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah, do we, it. I can't do it during the week. I was going to say, Doc doesn't ever get to do that. Yeah, if we only got paid uh, while we were working, that, that that would do it too. That ain't gonna happen. Better enjoy the drinking. Nice aroma on this beer. That's as close as you get. Nice looking head. Quite dark, but clear. Sounds like the kind of hookers you prefer. <laughs> he likes the dark head. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit. Nice looking down at the it's, dark it's a, head. Yeah, it's, okay. well, it's worth the plane flight up here, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> be, be, be annoyed and pestered uh, like I, you are in the show. Wondering how quick the show was going to go blue. <laughs> Three minutes into it. Two, sec- two seconds into it. Yeah, yeah, they, nice it and really dry. didn't take much. Here you go. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice stout. Now, I would assume that uh, Bruin from Bruin Classic Styles, and it seems like it turned out to be a good beer, probably what? Made a starter? Yeah. yeast? I bet he did. <laughs> Pitched lots of healthy yeast, the right amount. Funny funny that we're going to be talking about starters today. How did that happen? I don't know. It's like coincidence. I, you know, these smooth transitions. Uh, from one thing to another. Yeah. But yeast starters <laughs> are very important to a good brew. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, I got I got uh, a lot of questions on starters. So I got some, some information on uh, on starters on the Mr. Multi website, www.mrmulti.com. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff there. But uh, still, we get a ton of um, 
questions in uh, from folks like uh, Graham out in Singapore. He was saying, uh, I've just finished making a stir plate. Looks like it would be capable of driving a two-inch stir bar as much as a four to five liter of starter, so it'll do okay. He says, I have some questions. They may be pretty simple to you, but, but not to me. How do I know the starter is maxed out or finished? Uh, I've left a trial jar on the plate for two days. Uh, I saw a color change. It settled out. It was clear. So I, I guess it was done. But, you know, how do I know for sure? But, good point. you know, if it's slow, the yeast is slower or faster, how can I how can I know that, that the starter's done? You know, after, is it 24 hours? Is it two days? Is it, you know, six hours? What What is it really? Um. Then you know he has uh you know what if uh, you know you get a, a package of yeast and uh, you know it's six months eight months a year old and uh, you know there's not a lot left in it uh, smack pack you you smack it and it kind of very slowly starts to creep up I mean right, you right. know what do you do with that is that do you, how much yeast do you consider that when that's done is it uh, you know a portion of it you know should, uh, do, how does that affect the the size starters so a lot of a lot of different uh, you know questions on starters that people are asking and uh, so I, what I thought hey you know let's do a show on starters excellent you know, idea so I brought Doc in and yeah. uh, it could uh, be voodoo to a lot of people absolutely well and let's let's start uh, you know. From the beginning, Doc, define for me. You know what is a starter? A uh, starter is uh, you're making a mini beer to either activate or replicate your yeast, so mm-hmm. you can have it ready to go into your your full batch of beer. Get the the yeast more lively, right. good health. They've been dormant. Some of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to get them to do what they're going to do. They're going to multiply up to where they need to be. They're going to be a very active phase, and mm-hmm. that's what you really want to really lower the lag time mm-hmm. uh, when you pitch them into your, your full wart. Right. But the purpose of a starter is to make yeast, not to make beer. So there's a, yes. there are subtle differences between ma- built brewing and making a starter and then, and versus making a batch of beer. So. Yeah. yeah, but I just paid $6 for that tube of White Labs yeast. Isn't that going to ferment my five gallons of beer? To a point... Uh, you can, uh, but we're all about and why you're listening to this show, so you can make better beer. Mm-hmm. Or the best beer you can Or the best beer you can. can. Right, it's right. just one more trick, one more tool that yep. you have to do it. And uh, you can get mixed results with just pitching one vial or one mm-hmm. smack pack in there. It depends on the, what uh, beer you're doing. Yep. Uh, whether you're doing a lager or you're doing a big high-gravity thing. Uh, high, if the yeast is a little bit older, that kind of thing all takes uh, into consideration what's going to happen. So, so one of the reasons you might want to make a starter is, uh, you know, the the yeast when you buy it at the store, they they can't get it like you know, uh, a day, day a day same day from the from the factory and then you know sell it to you same day and put fresh ones on the shelf every day. You know, the yeast is has got a, a good shelf life and it'll it'll last for a good you know four months or or more. But the the issue is. Uh, you know, if it's at the beginning of the four months, yeah, that's one thing. If it's near the end of the four months, maybe you know the yeast isn't quite as viable. Yeah, and maybe done uh, like not fifty percent, not really ready to uh, fully ferment. So you're going to put it in the starter and uh, uh, revitalize the yeast. Would you say? Yeah. As well as as well as like you're saying, not grow, grow yeah, some more. Grow yeast. some more. Uh, I've used some yeast vials that I found in the back that are pretty old, mm-hmm. and I don't have any problem doing that mm-hmm. uh i wouldn't pitch just that vial into it right. or uh, I, I have question of what john was talking about the viability of it you might have 50 right. percent of them are dead or more 
I might be down to 10%. Right. I got some. And you know. if, I, if I'm if i in a pinch or if I really just want to experiment and try to do it, I'll make a starter. Sometimes with that, if it's really old, I'll use two. Mm-hmm. I'll step it up twice. And you can you can grow that small amount of uh, less viable yeast into, into as enough. much healthy, viable yeast as you want. And, right. and that has to go with pitching rate, too. So mm-hmm. pitching rate affects the quality of the beer you're going to get at the end. And so you're going through this process to ensure you're going to have the right pitching rate of healthy yeast. Right, and what you were saying about, uh, you know, you got pitching rate for something and the viability is down. Just because it says this, how many billion cells in this vial, uh, when you've got less vi- viability, how many of them are dead, you're not going to have that rate. Right. And you're going to have to get something done mm-hmm. to have your fermentation the way you want it. Yeah, at full strength... You know, fresh off the fresh off the line, a uh, a smack pack or a vial will have about a hundred billion cells. Right, and that's that's good to pitch to uh, five gallons of a ten forty ale. You know, nominally, that's about the right the right rate or the the nominal rate. Uh, but then you can play with that. You can pitch less to get more esters. You can pitch more to get a cleaner beer. And as the viability of that uh, that yeast that you started with goes down. Uh, you're going to need a starter more and more to get it back up to that 100 percent, 100 billion cells, and uh, or depending on the the gravity of the beer you're pitching to, the style of the beer you're pitching to, you know all these all these are factors that influence how much yeast that you eventually want to pitch, and the way you build that up is with a starter. Yeah, and uh, people ask me about Mr. Malty and the calculator. Well, I calculate that. How do I get that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do well, I buy what, more yeast? What is the pitching rate then? You got you, you know you talked about it, but there has to be a formula for that then. For yeah. all of us who don't have the, it's uh, uh, it's actually kind of it it works best it's on spreadsheet. Sorry, no. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, generally, uh, you know, three quarters of a uh, uh, well, three quarters of a million uh, per per degree Plato per milliliter of wort. Yeah, and uh, you do for that. for ales uh, for lagers, uh, you know, one and a half. Now. Um, that's why the pitching rate calculator makes it you know super easy for you. You can just dial in uh, you know mrmalty dot com mm-hmm. uh, for all your pitching calculator needs. It's actually free, and uh, you enter in your your recipe parameters, and then that'll tell you how much yeast you, you need. It's a very uh, good tool. Well, let's let's kind of back up a little bit. We're okay. we're talking about how much yeast we need, but all right. So a starters like a mini beer. How do you how do you make this? I mean, what what you know? What do I need to do it? What are the steps? What are you know? Uh, you know, is there a, a kit I just buy? You know, instead of buying a pale ale kit, I buy a starter kit, or what? What do I do here? Uh, you can do it just like when you're starting out to making beer. You can make it as simple as you want using the spaghetti pot you have uh, uh, in in the kitchen already. Okay. Uh, you can buy an Erlen Meyer and use it that way. Basically, you've got a, a boil. Some wort, and how do you make the wort? You use the easiest way is you're going to use some uh, uh, DME. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the best ways. Uh, I don't use hops in there. You really don't need it. You just uh, have to figure out what gravity you want and how much DME to put in. The best way to figure it out is make it the easiest you can. And one of the easiest ways to do it is buy an Erlen Meyer. You can put it right on the stove. You can put it right in the water. Cool it down right after that because you have to cool it and you want to be pitching as fast as you can. So do you need tons of that stuff? No. You can use a saucepan with a lid on it. I've seen that's John do it in his book. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, that's not that hard. You just add a, cup of, a measuring cup and some DME, maybe uh, some yeast nutrient, 
and a vial of yeast. That's pretty much all you need. And some ice or a water bath to cool it down. So you don't need a ton of stuff to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are stuff that make it easier to do it. And Erlenmeyer's for sure. Which is a large glass flask. Yes. It, One of those skinny triang- at the top and kind of right. triangular out triangular to a wide bottom. bottom. And right. it's, it's made of glass that can go right on the stove. A borosilicate and, glass. And right. you can put it right into the, the cold ice bath if you want and it mm-hmm. won't break. Right, so that that that's one tip I would say. If you got to, you're going to buy something for it. Do right. that. If if, well, if you're going to buy it, I was talking to Jamil about this on you know on the way to the show here. You might as well go and get yourself uh, uh, one of those big five or six hundred or six thousand mil flasks. Yes. You have the one big one. You know, I was telling him you go and get one of those fine young ladies that work in the packaging at More Beer to grab you one of those, and. Uh, uh, that thing works great because if I'm making it for five gallons of beer and it's a 1040 beer, that's fine. I only have to fill it up to, uh, you know, you know, 2,000 mils. But if you're going to be doing 10 gallons of a Doppelbach, well, you're set. You've got that big, right. you know, 6,000 mils. It, it, you can do it with two Erlenmeyer, two smaller ones. You'll start if you buy a smaller one, you're going to end up buying the second one and then having to oh, do yeah. two starters. And again, it's getting complicated. Well, the, the the funny thing is, I I use uh, a, a two thousand mil flask. That's that's what I use, and the the thing I've been doing is I'll step up my starter. So I'll make uh, uh, you know a starter multiple levels of starter. Mm-hmm. If I need the equivalent of six liters of starter, I just make a two thousand mil starter three times, and uh, <laughs> and, and increase <laughs> your workload. <laughs> well, if he wants to step up, that's a whole other technique right. to do yeah. it that way, and I've done that too. Uh, if you want to step it up, you can make you can make a starter and step everything up from one cell. If you're really good at it, and you can do that. But uh, again, it's a whole different technique to doing it. Most people don't want to do all this trouble, so right. they want to do it as easy as, as they can. Well, and you mentioned you mentioned hops, and and uh, my understanding is that uh, you know the antimicrobial properties of hops. What 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 happens is the uh, hop uh, iso alpha acids they actually will coat the outside of a cell like a bacteria cell, right? And that's right. what stops the bacteria cell and, and reduces viability of the cell. Same thing happens with yeast. The higher the amount of iso alpha acids polymerized uh, iso acid in in the the work. Uh, more coating effect you have on the yeast cells, the viability goes down. The higher your IBUs, the lower your viability. So you really don't want to add hops to your, right. your starter. It's really just going to impact viability, the thing that you're trying to uh, actually build. If you're adding hops because you're you're thinking, oh well, it helps, uh, you know, with sanity, you know, keeps the more more uh, you know contamination down and helps protect it. If if that's the kind of problem you have, then you got a much bigger problem than you know. Yeah. You maybe you shouldn't be making starters. You should be buying packets of dry yeast and uh, going that route. Yeah, hops will help inhibit uh, you know, wort spoilers, but uh, yeah, as you say, if if that is an issue. You're better off really focusing on your upstream sanitation mm-hmm. and uh, and preventing it there rather than uh, worrying about adding enough hops to the wort. Focus on the yeast and don't worry about well, it. Save yourself uh, a little bit. Put it in your beer instead. I did read somewhere once when I first started making starters was if it makes you feel better and you just got to throw some hops in, I throw a pellet in there and call it good. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, logically... Now, no, no hops. You, you go without the hops. So, Doc, maybe you could walk us through 
you know, what a, a, a person starting out, how they make a starter. Go, you give us, you know, all the steps. Give us volumes. Give us uh, okay. measurements, things like that, temperatures. Um, typically what I do is I get everything out first. Uh, I'll, I'll get out the Erlenmeyer. I usually do the Arrowhead dispenser and just dispense out the, the water. You can probably use tap water, though I don't trust my tap water on that because I have a well. Um, just one more thing, even though I'm going to be boiling it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I just, it's you easy. probably don't want chlorinated water right. or anything like that. Anything like that. So I just go in and, and, and fill it up. And depending on where, how big an air that I'm using that time or what I'm pitching into, uh, usually fill it to maybe around the 2,000 milliliter mark because mm-hmm. I've got I've got the big Erlen Meyer too. So I'll get that in there, get everything out. Uh, I'll measure out. I like uh, what you say. It's about a 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, weight, 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 grams, weight, yeah. So milligrams, milligrams and and going into milliliters. Mm-hmm. So hundred milligrams and or two hundred milligrams into two thousand milliliters. That's mm-hmm. going to work. I weighed it out and it's about uh, about three three quarters of a cup, and I think something like that. Mm-hmm. I I just measured. I don't remember exactly what it was. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy though. Yeah, you basically want about a ten forty beer, maybe mm-hmm. right, but right, right. You don't want a big strong starter. Mm-hmm. Just enough to keep them happy, but not overwhelm them. You don't want to stress them at all. Uh, I'll get the water started boiling. Once it gets boiling on there, I like to use uh, a mixing bowl, a stainless steel mixing bowl, kind of a round bottom one. Uh, I'll put all the the dry stuff, the dry ingredients in the DME in there. I also put my uh, yeast nutrient in there right then. Mm-hmm. That way I don't forget uh, I'll pour about half of the liquid. How much yeast nutrient are you? I usually just I'll, I'll pour. I usually serve a Mice's capsule now. Mm-hmm. I just put one of those in there because mm-hmm. it's gonna it'll transfer over mm-hmm. depending on how much I'm gonna put in there too. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just it's a pretty small beer. I'll just or a pinch of uh, diammonium phosphate, mm-hmm. whatever I happen to have on hand that I didn't run out of the other stuff kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's not that big a deal. It's something, but I want something in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Water's boiling. I've got the dry ingredients in the mixing. The basic brown bottom cake mixing bowl. I'll pour it in there about half the volume. The thing that I found is everything lumps up, mm-hmm. and the best thing to stir it with is an egg whisk. Works great. Just stir it like you're beating some eggs, and it breaks up all those things. I've tried forks. I've tried spoons with holes, and I tried wood. It makes those clumps in there, and I hate it. But this good stainless steel whisk—that's a good idea. It, it works great. It breaks them all up. Once that's there, then again uh, is some foam control. At that point, I'll put a few drops into that, and then a funnel. Pour it back into uh, the Erlenmeyer. I take the Erlenmeyer off of the stove because it. If you spill, because you're, you know, I don't know, maybe you had a couple beers or whatever, uh, you don't want to spill all of the stove because it makes it hard again to clean that up and not get yelled at. <laughs> so I'll put it, put a hot pot pad or a trivet or something in, in the sink and then pour it into there. Use, use the funnel because you will miss a little bit. Get it back in there. Make sure you use the foam control and then put it back on the stove and then bring it up to boil again. With the foam control, you're going to notice that it doesn't boil over. You got to be a little careful about it because if you put it right back in a lot of high heat, it's, it might still foam depending on how high you have it near the near the neck of it. But with a Erlenmeyer, it's got a very narrow uh, neck, kind of like a bottleneck on there, and it really quick. It, yeah. it will boil quick and boil over quick. So if you don't use the foam control, you're going to see a worse boiling over problem, and 
all over the stove again. So you got to be careful. Once the foam control's in there, it's almost a no-brainer. I almost don't have to watch it. Boil it. I usually boil it for probably 15 minutes, maybe. And it doesn't have to be a raging boil, just uh, just so it's boiling, churning things up. And you'll see it, it'll, it'll get actually clear after uh, a little while. Then I just cover it with some foam. I mean, excuse me, a foil. Put it on the other burner and let it cool down a little bit. And then it's going to go back in the sink into a water bath because I want it cooled down as fast as I can so I can pitch it. Mm-hmm. So one thing, uh, another little trick that I use is I take a meat rack, this uh, roast rack that you would oh, use yeah. to keep yeah. it off the bottom of the pan, and I put that in the sink. That way I'm going to have water flow underneath the Erlen Meyer, so it's, i got a lot Good more idea. surface area, so it's going to be able to uh, help cool it down a lot faster. Uh, it's not a good idea to submerge the flask in uh, above what the internal water line, liquid line is. Oh. You can actually, you could actually crack the yeah, the Erlen Meyer, even though it's the borosilicate. You can still probably do that. So usually I just bring the level all the way up to uh, even inside and outside, depending on how much volume you have there, how fast you want to do it. You might have to change the water with a five thousand milliliter Erlen Meyer with four thousand milliliters in it. It's a lot of liquid, so it can heat up the sink water pretty well, too. You can put some ice in there. It depends on what you want to do. Cool it down as fast as you can, and then you can pitch into that. Uh, I use a stir plate. Uh, if I don't use the oxygenate, even with a stir plate. I'll use let the stir plate do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I will. I'll use a wand and put it in there. Or if, or if I'm making several starters side by side because I'm doing different yeast pitches into one batch, I separate the batches out. And I'll do that. I only have one stir plate. Mm-hmm. I had two, but one went down. So, but I, if I'm going to do that, I'll oxygenate the one that's not on the stir plate. Right. When, you, when you put your wand in the, uh, the the bar for the stir plate, you boil it? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't boil the bar. Uh, I use, just use uh, star sand for that. Okay, let that go. I've got an lactobacillus beer. I think from my. Yeah, plate if, bar. if you do, <laughs> if you do boil the the bar, and you put you can put it in your Erlenmeyer. And boil it in there. The problem is, uh, if if that's not moving around, it's got a, a, a you know a, a metal metal interior. That's like a Teflon coated yeah. bar. The thing is, if it's just sitting there, it absorbs a lot of heat. It, you can melt those. I've yeah. I've actually melted. I've, before, so you know, another way is when when you when you pull it off of the off the heat, you put your bar in right then. Uh, that'll sanitize. That'll it, yeah. sanitize it, and it's not sitting on the burner at the same time. That, and, I, that and can cause here's a foam another, Here's too. another tip: is is when you, when you put that bar in there, you're going to want to tilt the oil and, and slide, slide it, it down, down the side. <laughs> you drop it straight down; it'll crack the bottom of the uh, the oil yeah. We have a pretty good chance of it, anyways. So we were talking about uh, uh, you know the the ratio of DME to water. Uh, uh, you know. Um, uh, you go uh, one gram DME for every ten mils of uh, final volume of liquid, and that gives you about a you know ten forty, maybe a little bit less, yeah. uh, depending on the type of DME and the moisture in the air and all that. Now, why are we doing this this uh, this uh, strength of, of starter, this this gravity of starter, the, the ten thirty five to ten forty range? Well, why is that important? Why, you know, I, uh, people will also say, hey, you know. You're making a strong beer. You got to make a strong starter so the yeast get acclimated to that. You know, the yeast will will buff up and get all ready to do high alcohol. <laughs> well, again, as you're trying you're trying to grow yeast, you're trying to build yeast. You're not trying to necessarily make the beer at this point. So while there is a certain amount of truth to, you know, uh, grow your yeast uh, in a in a 
you know, representative wort or representative conditions to what the beer is going to be. Uh, you don't necessarily want to throw them into a high gravity uh, beer because it, thermal. I mean, you know, shock is shock. I mean, if you're trying to get these these yeast to settle down and start growing, uh, you give them a gentle right. environment and let them let them grow on their own rate. Ten forty works really well. Yeah, yeah but, osmotic shock is just mm-hmm. as bad as a thermal shock. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, uh, they they don't truly you know get, ever get used to uh, you know alcohol or anything like that. And uh, you know, on the on the opposite side, now why don't you go to as low as possible a gravity? If if the higher the gravity, the the harder stress on the yeast. Why don't you go you know ten five? You know, one plato, two plato yeah. uh, work. Well, there's just not enough food there to really support them. I mean. You know, you you're. It's like um, you won't be able to grow very much yeah. yeast. And there's just not. Yeah, there's not enough food for that population of yeast to do much with. You won't. You'll go through all the trouble. You'll end up only with a very small increase in in number of cells. That's yeah. right. So 1040 is is really a good compromise between uh, good yeast growth and and all the other factors you get. You know, you basically uh, you know get a get get a good return on your growth rate. And, uh, yeah, they they know what the concentration is of the yeast around them as well as the sugar solution, and they're going to replicate according to that. Well, and I've also heard, uh, you know, when uh, you're growing something up, something, let's say you've had a yeast that's been highly stressed or you're pulling it off a, a real old slant or plate, uh, you know, you're going to want to start with, uh, say, something around 1020, around 5 Plato wort, and it's you know gentler on the on the cells. It's easier for them. They don't have to struggle keeping you know sugars and uh, you know other other things outside the cell and you know uh, keeping that osmotic balance. And so it's easier for them. Yet there's enough to just get them started. And once you get them started and you've got some some cell growth, then you take that and then you go to a ten forty uh, uh, or a, like a, a uh, ten plato uh, wort for your. Uh, your growth. Yeah, I've I've heard that, and I've I've talked to you know uh, Chris White and other other yeast experts about it. Uh, you, you, know, you hear different opinions, and but I think the the general consensus is you don't have to be that that nice to them. That uh, ten forty is is you know the best compromise, and once in a while you'll run into you know a set of yeast that need some coddling, but uh, generally they don't. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, you know you get you get those uh, plates. You know, I, I, I do a lot of uh, plating oh, yeah. of uh, some strains I want to save that I can't get from uh, the major yeast companies. That's true. If you, and I'm real lazy, mm-hmm. and so I'll leave those plates. But they'll be sitting. But you'll still plate them. Sitting, yeah, they'll, they'll <laughs> be sitting in the more. fridge for a year, two years, and you know they're all pretty much done in at that point, and uh, yeah, they're looking pretty crusty, and. I, I I, th- I think I get you know a, a better result going to a real gentle start on on those. I, I get a better chance of pulling some of them off the brink and getting them going again. That, that's probably true. Yeah, with the and slant. Prob- yeah. Probably the the best the best advice is not to uh, let them go for two years. I think <laughs> I have a probably. few crusty ones back there on slants, just yeah. like that. And uh, when I used to, I don't even do that anymore. But uh, when I used to build them up, I would start very small, like a ten milliliter. I had a little flask, a bigger flask, and, and build them up about 10 at a time. Okay. We're going to take a short break. When we Great. come back, we'll get uh, deeper into starters, how you do it, and, and what the uh, the benefits are. Back Great. after this.
Smart. Bruce Strong. This is Bruce Strong. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty Christmas you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. What have you gotten out of a vial of White Labs yeast? WLP 001, Cal Ale, baby! 23, Burton Ale. 008, East Coast Ale! Cal Common, WLP 810. It's gonna be WLP 400 with beer! I got a sweet hoodie for my vial. Huh? White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew-your-own-clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Put yeah. some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Network. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking starters, everything about them, how to make them, why you would, all, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, Nick is here is uh, new to the studio. Everyone's like, oh, where, where the hell did this guy come from? But uh, <laughs> I knew my know, name. Yeah, yeah, you know, a long-time fan, first time sitting in the studio, whatever the hell. How is it? Oh, it's amazing. You know, I... I was going to say, I think I'm your quintessential, you know, BN listener, the one who never participates in the forums, but just kind of <laughs> sits back there in the corner, soaking up all the information. And I, I learned to brew from two sources. It's it's amazing. Number one, it's this book here, How to <laughs> Brew. 
Thank you. Uh, uh, and then the second thing was from the Brewing Network. I, uh, it started about the time I learned to brew. Everything I learned came from from here. Yet I'm one of those guys. Well, I didn't quite participate in maybe all of the uh, you know Brewing Network activities. Well, I did go to the anniversary party. And let me tell you, if there's one place to go, it's Oktoberfest. If it's two. The being anniversary party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. If it's yeah. three, uh, you know, it, 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 did Lenny's else. down by the river. Did, or, you know, uh, <laughs> did you know how international you are? The Brewing Network. I yes, was very. I, I, apparently, you did. I was in uh, the Hofbrau tent. Now you can imagine here in this Oktoberfest, ten thousand people. One tent. One tent. All standing on the tables. I take a double take. A guy runs by wearing a hop grenade shirt. Oh, my goodness. And I'm in full lederhosen regalia. You know, I drank too much the night before, and I went to a, you know, clothing shop and ended up spending all this money, so I have to wear it. And here's this guy. So I chase him down, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, have you – I heard Justin was around here. Have you seen any of the BN cast? No. And so we get to talking, and he's like, God, I really just – I love – you know, uh, the Jamil show, and I'm really looking forward, you know, to the rest of the episodes of the Bruce Strong show. And I'm thinking, here I am, you know, 7,000 miles away from home, and I run into a fellow beer lover who's experienced by the same show, you know, and, and loves it. So what do we do? The only appropriate thing, well, let's give Jamil a drunk call. So <laughs> this guy, but first he's saying like, oh, I love the Jamil show. I love Bruce Strong. And then he runs into the guy who happens to happen to have, you know, Jamil on dial here. So sure, we call him up and of course, I wasn't paying attention to what time it was. It was probably <laughs> two in the morning, you know. I get Jamil, and he's like, "Oh, you know, good to hear from you." I think, but but uh, we yeah, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to say. You know, I, I was I was intrigued with a drunk dial from Oktoberfest. You know, as anybody would. Any, oh yeah, any good beer lover would be. But uh, I think it was like you know, ten o'clock in the morning, oh, I'm hey. in the middle of the work. You know, things are going on, and, and I'm thinking, you know, this would be much more entertaining if I had a couple of beers in me, and I think that was my only disappointment, <laughs> that it wasn't like, you know, 5 o'clock, and I had already, uh, you know, pulled one off the uh, kegerator there. It, it goes to show you, though, how something that you're doing here, you know, labor of love, it seems like, you're really reaching out, hitting a lot of people, and I probably would have taken me 10 years to learn what I have in two by listening. You know, you catch up with the Sunday shows, the Jamil show, got Bruce Strong, I mean, we're in a room with John Palmer. I used to. This is like my number one. This is my number one. Don't worry, that'll that'll fade. Yeah, that'll right. Fade. Yeah. It still yeah. sits on my toilet. This book, John. You know. Thank you. That's good. To hear. I mean, every morning. And John sits on our toilet every couple of weeks <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's gone full circle. Yeah. As soon as he starts hitting you up for money, yeah, it all fades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you know pages of of the book aren't torn out. I mean, you know, given its location, it's Sticky, nice. Right. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Every once in a while, you know, yeah. the roll runs shy. Yeah. <laughs> It's always the backup. Well, apparently I ripped out the part on yeast starters after this show, what I'm learning, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, well, let's get back to yeast starters. So a uh, couple of things that, that were brought up. Uh, we talked uh, nutrients, right? Yeah. And uh, you, you were talking about throwing in some servomyces or whatever you have. Uh, you know, why uh, yeast has a good nutrient. You want, I think you want something with some zinc, one of the, the yeah. key nutrients that the yeast are going to need to grow. And this is this is usually you know people think of uh, the sugars that are needed for the the, the yeast to grow, but uh, there's some real key nutrients: oxygen, zinc, uh, you know, amino acids, and nitrogen. That's mm-hmm. the basic uh, you know cooking pot of, of really the core stuff that they need, and that zinc's pretty important. 
Right. And you can get that through the Servomyces. You get that through the White Labs uh, yeast nutrient, I believe. Or you can just add something with some zinc in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. Uh, malt-based things have a lot of nutrients for, that they need, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're making a starter. You want to give them things that, that doesn't have zinc or enough zinc in it. So. Zinc tends to drop out during hot break. Yeah. It tends to get bound up in the, in the hot break and drop out. So that's why some extra zinc is, is useful so, in the beer. And here's one other thing. Uh, you know... Uh, what about uh, distilled water versus, uh, you know, regular old tap water? I think one of the advantages of regular tap water is going to have some calcium in it. It's going to probably have some magnesium. A lot of things that are actually fairly important to yeast, uh, 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 the yeast metabolism and uh, the success of the yeast to grow. That's right. And proper health there, right? Well, uh, that and your, but you're using uh, DME. Mm-hmm. It's, basically dehydrated uh, wort, yeah. wort. And it's going to have it's some minerals have stuff in, in there, it. and you don't know how much it's got in there too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know one thing that i probably going to start going to uh, once in a while i do do a extract batch i'm going to probably start going to just straight ro water on my straight extract batches mm-hmm. it's in there it's just right. concentrated right. and, and I'll, i don't want to overload on other things and what you're talking about is uh not a bad idea to use the tap water. Mm-hmm. Distilled water might be a little too clean. Mm-hmm. For we're, we're talking about yeast nutrients, right? And those those chemicals that are in there, the ions that are in that's that's nutrients for them. It's building blocks because you're trying to maximize growth, right? And they're not just eating. You're not just feeding them. You're trying to get them to make enzymes, to make cell walls, to make different proteins, mm-hmm. and they need the building blocks to do that because they're they're trying to multiply. They don't multiply out of thin air. Well, now, speaking of thin air and uh, cell walls, one of the most important things to cell wall permeability and uh, uh, the abilities of the yeast to bud and uh, you know, have a, enough pliability in order to bud off another cell is uh, the sterols that are used uh, in the, the, the cell wall makeup, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to make those, they need uh, you know either oxygen or some sort of substitute, uh, maybe from fatty acids. Fatty that, acids, that they, yeah. That they can do. Uh, now... When uh, you and I make starters, we count on the stir plate to to bring in enough right. oxygen. And you know, I've heard people go, "Well, no, that that can't be happening because you know you've got the starter covered, and you know you're not blowing bubbles into it." And really, the most critical thing on oxygen exchange, oxygenation of any liquid, is really you know the surface area, the amount of surface area that is being exchanged across. The uh, the air that, that that contains the oxygen or, and or back into the water, right? Um, and if you're just having a solid part, just water, just sitting there, mm-hmm. you're not getting the the water molecules back to the surface to reuptake. Mm-hmm. And by stirring, it's going right. to make like you said a lot more surface area. Right, you're exchanging that. Imagine spreading that starter out thin. All you know, uh, you get a little little bit of a vortex kind of starting. You're exchanging a huge amount of surface area uh, continuously throughout there. It's actually far more effective. Uh, you know, one of the things you find, uh, you know, shaking a, a carboy actually will add oxygen to it because you're again exchanging that surface layer. You can get that exchange going. Uh, you'll actually pick up a considerable amount of oxygen as compared to say something like an aquarium pump. Right. This uh, is, uh, let's look at carbonating in a keg. Goes in faster when you shake it mm-hmm. because you're shaking, you're splashing around in there, mm-hmm. so it gets more surface area. Con- liquid does with contact with uh, the atmosphere that's in there. I, I did a lot of uh, aquarium uh, t- 
type of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, aquaculture and, uh, years ago. And the thing I learned there was you know, all those bubbling uh, air stones and all that. Yeah. The whole, sole purpose of that is to exchange liquid from the bottom of the tank to the surface of the tank. You don't actually pick anything up really, or very little yeah. up from the bubbles themselves. The bubbles are to rotate the liquid from the bottom to the top, exchange that top surface layer, and that's where your oxygen exchange occurs. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's the same thing. The same thing in in uh, in making beer or starters or something like that. So Man. the stir plate very effective. You can shake. I think I know one thing. Uh, Graham Sanders does. He he's popularized using a two liter soda bottle. You uh, put your your starter word in there. You squeeze out all the the uh, the air. You can shake it up and you know and and exchange the air each time and then shake it up and uh, you know every once in a while you know, you squeeze out the carbon dioxide, let in fresh air and shake it again and you get uh, tremendous growth and you know no uh, no uh, oxygenation stone or starter yeah. uh, well, the, the oxygenation kind. stone is just to make the bubbles smaller so mm-hmm. smaller bubbles are more surface area right um big bubbles imagine one big bubble is bubbling to the top it's not going to be there very very long and you're That's not right. going to get a lot of exchange uh well, the main thing is we just drew drove all of the oxygen out of the the liquid by boiling it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not there anymore that's why right. you got to put it back uh, good point now, what about uh, the types of sugars? I know uh, people go, well, you know, I got uh, this this priming sugar left over, I keg, and each kit comes with this little bag of priming sugar. I can just make my starters with that, right? No. Y- yes and no. Right. Uh, because of everything we just talked about. The the priming sugar has no nutrients in it. Right. And uh, there's more nutrients in the wort, the DME, uh, that we make up that we can't put in there. And uh, the yeast use a lot of those things. Yeah. So if you just use it as pure sugar and put nothing in it, yeah, John, right, no, you just can't. It, you're not going to get what you want out of the start. Why right. bother wasting your time doing this because you're not going to get what you want. Well, and also one of the, one of the, the problems that's going to happen is the yeast become quickly lazy. They stop making the enzymes that they right. need in maltose, order to yeah. ferment mm-hmm. uh, maltose. So they won't be able to break the maltose down and take those sugars in. Uh, if they get used to simple sugars, this is one of the problems with a a, uh, a wort comprised of uh, a lots of simple sugars. At a certain point, the yeast will just consume the simple sugars first. They always start with the simplest sugars first, and then they move on to the more complex sugars. And uh, if they they get to a point where you know the growth has been uh, fueled by these simple sugars, they don't bother to produce the enzymes that allow them to break down the maltose. And so when you put them in your wort. They stop when they get to the maltose, and you get a very low attenuation. That's so right. you you got you got to use that uh, uh, maltose based uh, uh, sugar in yeah. order to uh, grow your yeast. Now that doesn't mean it was made from malt. Uh, right. You know you can you can go with uh, you know rice syrups. A lot of times are ninety percent maltose. Uh, you know even that would work. So, so. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Uh, you're talking about the enzymes not wanting to make uh, the enzymes. Mm-hmm. to break down the maltose why would they if they don't have to uh you gotta look at it from their standpoint uh it takes their energy to make these enzymes making these proteins putting them together so they can use the available food well they're not going to expend that energy if they don't have to so they're going to not make the maltase that's right they're, and they're going to just eat what they can when they're done eating they don't care they're just kind of done they're not going to they're not in that kind of uh, phase where they're they're trying to grow, trying to get ready to consume what's out there. So what do you what do you do then? You've got this nice big 
you know, let's say three liter starter going, and that wort obviously is, nutrients have been used by the yeast. They've kind of come out of suspension. What what if it's an active starter? Let's say you want to pitch that right into your beer, depending on the style of beer. And I I wondered this for ages. Is that you know DME that I use going to affect the flavor of my five gallon? or 10-gallon batch of beer? Should I decant it off? Is there something wrong with it? Like I said, it's not hopped. It was only boiled for a few minutes. What do I do with that? That always goes back to me is what kind of beer is it? If I'm pitching into a Hellas, yeah, I'm decanting Mm -hmm. because there's anything light like that. uh, I'm more likely to not want to pitch in some of these extract flavors, especially if it's a big starter that we're doing. And when you're you're doing a lager, you better have a big starter. Uh, I'm not going to put that in there. I, I... I have a tendency to crash it somewhat, so I get just a layer of yeast on the bottom, get it out of there, and then I decant. If I'm doing an oatmeal stout, it's going to be a lot less of an issue about the flavor going in there, um, and I make it easy. That's a great question. I, I think I'm very much along the same lines as Doc in that you know it depends on the beer. If I'm making an average gravity ale, then you know my starter size is going to be fairly small, and I probably just pitch the whole thing right in when it's at the height of activity. Right. Uh, if I'm making anything bigger than that, and I need a larger starter, or if I'm making a, any kind of lager, I tend to uh, you know just grow the yeast, uh, let it uh, completely finish out. I put it in the fridge, let it all mm-hmm. settle out, yeah. I decant the spent wort, and then uh, day of brewing. I'll take that 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 thick yeast slurry and I'll add it back to maybe a, a, a you know a pint of mm-hmm. uh, of wort and just kind of get it active for a couple hours and then I'll toss that into my uh, beer. Which wort the the new beer that you just brewed? Uh, starter wort. I I actually can my starter wort, so I'll make a you know a starter wort. I'll make uh, five gallons up in in quart okay. mason jars and then I'll just use as needed. I can I've got sterile wort anytime I. That's I something I used to do. I used to. Uh, when I would boil, you can only get so much of the yeast, uh, the uh, wort out of there, with it, and you still got a lot of crud in the bottom of there. Oh, yeah. And if you ever poured it into, it's cooled. I pour it into a, a big growler, something mm-hmm. like that. Put in the refrigerator, and it will it'll all settle out, and all all the tubes in the bottom. I'll decant that off, and then I put it in a can. It. Well, Jamil, you said you pitched something at the height of activity. Okay, so. I know what five gallons of fermenting beer looks like, but how do I know when I'm the height of activity in an Erlenmeyer flask or in a uh, you know a two liter bottle? Well, uh, you know that's that's going to depend on uh, a lot of factors, and uh, you know experience will, will be your guide. Now, uh, if you if you ferment the, out a starter without a stir plate, you'll see you know you get the the high croissant, you get all that. That's that's about the time. Generally. All you really need to have happen in a starter is, uh, you know, the growth. And the growth is all done within, you know, mostly between 12 to 18. But, you know, by 36 hours, all your growth is done. It's ready to, ready to pitch uh, for all intents and purposes. The only reason you might uh, go longer is that it's uh, kind of stuck in the... Um, uh, you know, in, in the liquid, and you want to, you know, decant that and get, get from the volume of liquid. That's, yeah, that's uh, that zen part that you and I talk about. Right. When's right. the beer done? I don't want to take that out if of the I, You do it by feel. It, it is, and I, every time I'm thinking about my conical, am I going to pull that we'll out? Get, we'll get back to our feelings about starters just after <laughs> this. This is Brew Strong. We'll be right back. 
What's good for the earth, good for your body, and great for your brew? Organic Ingredients. This holiday season, the Organic Ingredient Experts Seven Bridges Co-op in awesome Santa Cruz, California, offers you the gift that keeps on giving to our planet. Sustainable, fair-wage ingredients to make the best organic homebrew you've ever had. There's a growing demand for organic products, and your choice to brew with them supports organic farmers worldwide. Brew organic, and you'll brew excellent beer that is free from chemical residues and genetically modified organisms, and you'll help contribute to a better world. If you're looking for organic ingredients, Seven Bridges offers a huge selection of USDA-certified kits and raw ingredients from 8 ounces to 50-pound sacks of grain, whole and pellet hops, and all the equipment you need. Seven Bridges, the organic homebrew experts since 1997. Visit www.breworganic.com. Attention homebrew shop owners at Fermentap. They know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless domed false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic hassle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper wort chillers are the best on the market, designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion chillers. They actually invented the equipment to make these chillers not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients, including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeasts, green coffee beans, Sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all-grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at Fermentap.com or call Jason at 1-800-942-2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as seven cents a day. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. You're listening to The Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're talking starters with our uh, guest in the studio here, uh, Dr. Scott 
Hey, yeah, let me know if I'm talking too much. Oh, never, never. Love, love to hear your your uh, experience and experience and wisdom. wisdom on making great beer. And uh, starters is a big part of it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah definitely. Maybe one of the key components to making great beer. Yeah, it it gets me in the mode to making beer. I know I start. Maybe sometimes I'll start on a Wednesday if I'm going to be brewing on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends if I'm stepping them up if I'm brewing a lager, whatever it is. But it's like now I'm. I'm and actually, it commits me. To be brewing, I said, "No, like, ah, maybe I'll do it tomorrow." Kind of thing. I know I'm doing it because I've got that starter going. Now we did a, a informal poll here in the studio, and it sounds like all of us put foil over the top of our, our Erlenmeyer yeah, flasks right. yeah. to seal them up. Yep. Now, why not uh, an airlock? Why not uh, a solid stopper? Why not uh, you know, uh, well, saran you want, wrap and a uh, rubber band? Yeah, you want condom. Good, good, good oxygen flow. You want yeah. good airflow. You want the CO2 to come out of the starter because mm-hmm. that will inhibit the growth of the yeast. You want some air, more oxygen to get to it. Um, and there's a, fortunately, there's a little natural law that, that germs don't fall up. Yeah. So if you put uh, foil loosely over the top of the Erlenmeyer and extend it down over the edges, uh, that provides a natural bacteria barrier. But it still allows you know gas flow, yeah. gas exchange uh, underneath and around. Yeah, and it's usually, a posi- it's, there. it's usually a positive flow that's coming mm-hmm. out. Right. Uh, also, it's uh, Chris White and I have talked about quite a bit about having no uh, head pressure on the wart, mm-hmm. and that seems to stimulate them a lot better. Which uh, we go with these you know open cool ships and why they ferment what they do, and probably it has to do with the type of yeast they're using. But there's you know no head pressure on it is is a plus in well, yeast growth. I, I think John, uh, you brought up an excellent point. Is you know CO two inhibits cell growth and uh, activity, and that's one of the things like uh, high pressure lager yeast. Why they're able to ferment lagers warmer is they use this yeast to keep it under a certain level of uh, CO two pressure, and that CO two pressure. Uh, restricts the activity of the yeast and, and keeps them down in like you know ester production things like that, and so you want to make sure you're getting rid of that. One of the things that the the stir bar does in the in a on a stir plate is ensures that you're not building up uh, you know CO2. Right. No no gas is building up past uh, whatever the uh, the regular uh, solubility is there. You're not getting any super saturation yeah. of CO2 or anything like that. I've got about three gallons on a stir plate right now. Yeah, you're king of the, the the big the big stir plate and the big starter. Hey, yeah, you know God short changed me on the height thing, so I'm going to make up for it some way. <laughs> In the big ass starter. Yeah, it's impressive. I I must admit, I you know see one of those things going and stir bars rotating sounds like you know the the prop on a on it a does. You know, it fifty two. Like, <laughs> it sounds like something's cutting glass in there. You can hear it in the other room. It's loud. Yeah, so who's who's mowing the lawn? Yeah. No, it's it's just Doc's stir plate going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Making yeast. Making yeast. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a loose fitting cover that just uh, keeps stuff from dropping in. That's that's where all the the bacteria and wild yeast are. It's on the dust in the air, and uh-huh. as it just drops out of the air, air's full of that dust, and that's that's what you need to be. There's a lot of it. advantages just having that loose fitting foil over it. Oh, nice and low tech. Too. Yep. Okay. So uh, uh, I don't think we answered uh, Graham's question. How do we know when the starter's done? How do I know? Or when to pitch? It's finished. Yeah. Well, in stir pit, it's really hard because you're just seeing this yeah. suspension constantly. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, it's hard to tell in appearance of looking looking through the Erlenmeyer uh, or juice bottle, whatever you have on the stir plate. It still looks cloudy and yeasty from mm-hmm. start to finish. 
Um, you may pick up a little difference in color, a little difference in. You well, know. It becomes milkier as, yeah. as yeah. you get a, a certain when the growth peaks, it stops getting milkier in color, or darker, more opaque in color, right. and yeah. and you know you've gotten all your growth. But I, I think I think you really do gotta gotta trust to the time that's been on that plate and say, you know, uh, eighteen twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's at kind of peak activity. After thirty six, it's done mm-hmm. because I you know I've I used to think, well, you know, it still still looks like it might be doing something. I'd leave it on, mm-hmm. and but you know, after that thirty six hours, uh, you know, with constant oxygen access, and if the if the yeast have used up all the sugar available sugars in that starter wort, now they're going to start attacking their own internal, you know, trellose and reserves and so on, glucose and glucose, trilose, yeah, to to you know sustain themselves because they've got the oxygen cell walls yeah, yeah and they're looking for they're looking for more nutrients they're going to start using up all the reserves they've just built up in the growth phase uh so you don't want to leave your yeast on a stir plate too long so i'd say yeah 36 hours max and get and pull it off and pitch it or you know put it in the fridge and let it settle out uh, i one rule of thumb that i use i always kind of think that's what comes in with experience is that that feel for it you know it's a lighter beer it's a 1030 beer or 1040 right, beer right. just think of it if it was five gallons how long would it take for that thing to ferment out at whatever you're fermenting at and everybody everybody's watching their beer when they pitch it five gallons it's gone it's down oh good and you know your beer you know your system you know your environment two days Probably maybe three, depending on how for a ten thirty ten forty beer. Think think that direction, and you're going to know when it's going to peak and when it's going to start coming down again. Well, Jamil and John Plisse have talked a lot about knowing your yeast, and if you know, for example, you're going to be... in the biblical sense. We yes, know. yes, yeah. Know thy own yeast. Yes, in the biblical. Well, that's talented man if you can know your yeast that way. <laughs> well, but the uh, <laughs> takes helps a small, the right size equipment. Yeah. Size that's equipment. Right. Yeah, right. A lot of head pressure. Yeah. So yeah. the the uh, do that cell wall. If you're if you're pitching like an Oktoberfest yeast, you know that could take, at least I know White Labs version, you know, that could take maybe four or five days before I see that really kind of come out, right. you know, in activity. But if it's a ten fifty six, you know, like John was saying, maybe twenty four to thirty six hours. Mm-hmm. But I'd hate to pitch it and then not actually, you know, get the value of that starter. If well, maybe you wouldn't get a hundred percent of the value of the starter, but you're going to get some glycogen mm-hmm. reserves. And right. Doing you're you're right. going to get that kind of right. thing. But what John was saying, so you don't want to let it go down so far that they're just starting to shut down shop. Right. 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 You know, you're okay for a couple of days, but don't forget it there and leave it there all week. You know, Unless after you're going to feed it days. again. You can yeah. feed them again. Right. You can do that. There's some things you can do. You can continue to step. Well, and that's a good good, good segue into our, our other question, which is uh, how how big a starter do I need? How how uh, what amount of wort do I need, or you know what, what amount of yeast do I need? What's what's the answer there? Well, well I like what the the graph you brought out before, and uh, what you said was you can pitch them all into up to about five gallons, but you're not going to get any more out of it. Mm-hmm. It's diminishing returns. There is a a, a curve here that we've got. Uh, Whatever your 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 peak is, how much do you need though? You uh, you pitching into five gallons, or like me, you're pitching into twenty five gallons. Uh, you're gonna need a bigger starter. You might not be able to do a huge starter at first, and that's where you're gonna come into stepping up. 
Well, the interesting thing on this on this curve is I did uh, a massive number of starter experiments and a massive number of cell counts until I was bleary eyed. I spent you know <laughs> a good you know six months of doing nothing but cell counts. I did like a year and a half of testing on this thing, and I came up with all these data points. I did all these curves, and I I, I just I came up with uh, you know I I could tell how much yeast will grow given you know an endless supply or whatever. And, and there's certain certain uh, returns. For example, you can take a, a, a smack pack, an XL smack pack of uh, Y yeast or a, a, a vial of uh, uh, White Labs, and you put that into two liters of wort, no stir plate, uh, just uh, two liters of a 1040 wort, and you're going to get a doubling of the amount of uh, yeast. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty much fact. Now. You can't do 20 liters and expect to get 10 times as much yeast. Doesn't work that way. 20 years is, is is pretty much about the limit. You're gonna you're gonna get a, a lesser return. There's there's limiting factors in nutrients and uh, you know the cell walls and, and things like that. It, it, it isn't gonna grow endlessly. And the interesting thing is, you know, it, it, you know, it's got certain cycles that it goes through. The interesting thing is that uh, when I was doing this, uh, Greg Doss from Yeast was doing uh, similar experiments, uh, totally independent of what I was doing. When uh, through happenstance we compared numbers, they they were asking me about doing a, a pitching rate calculator for them. Shocker. Uh, we we compared numbers, and uh, uh, you know, my curve and his curve were nearly identical there was a slight difference mine went a, a little bit higher uh and it may have to do with my counting method versus his he was using a spectrophotometer to count and uh the interesting thing was they were they were pretty much identical so we're we're quite sure of this data and uh my pitching rate calculator and the ye's pitching rate calculator use the same same uh formula for that so uh Anyways, I, I just thought that was really fascinating. There's a uh, there's a limit to the amount that you can do, right. and your you know your practical limit before you're getting such a small return on the amount of yeast is probably about eight liters uh, for a for a vial or a package, right. and and you know the the four to six liter range is probably uh, ideal. Um, you know, you're gonna you're you're not uh, you know throwing away uh, much there. That's when it comes step. Uh step starting comes in uh if you need to grow a whole lot of yeast doesn't mean just make a huge starter and throw that that uh, pack in there it's not going to do it uh see what i'm saying you're going to get diminishing returns you can put in eight liters you can put in 20 liters and close to the same a little bit more but not as much It's better to start normally with an eight liter thing and then take that eight liters and go into the 20 liters you're going to get a lot more oomph for it out of there that's why you want to step them mm-hmm. if you think you need more more yeast you're gonna have to get them from somewhere and growing them just by putting putting them in a bigger bigger wart it's not going to do it yeah. well, but use but use the uh, the pitching rate calculator on jameel's mm-hmm. website mrmulti.com because that that does simplify all this all, all these factors you can put in the numbers and get an answer get an exact answer but in our book john we uh, brewing classic styles which you can pick up in the brewing network store brewing network.com Got a copy around here. store yeah and uh uh, we have a chart in there that gives you kind of uh, uh, a quick and, and dirty down, uh, yeah. breakdown of of uh, you know what size starter you want, and how many vials would go into that, and all that. Right. We took the we took the pitching rate calculator and then uh, turned out some numbers from it and put that into a table form. Table five in Appendix A uh, gives you the amount of uh, liters of starter to make, uh, number of uh, 
yeast vials or yeast uh, or smack packs to add to that uh, volume of starter to get a certain uh, cell count out. Now, in Brewing Classic Styles, what we did to kind of simplify this, instead of saying, oh, you need 150 million billion cells you know, for a five-gallon batch, we said uh, you want to use uh, two yeast packs or three yeast packs for this particular recipe. And uh, so this Table 5 in the back of the book kind of helps you identify how many vials you should start with and how many liters of starter wort to, to add that to to get the, the amount of yeast that we have in the recipe. Now, we've also been talking about ales and lagers and, and you know how you need more yeast for a lager and all this, but one common question I get all the time is, now, do I need to make my lager starters at lager temperatures, or can I do them at, at room temperature like my ale starters? Well, yeah, you can, you can grow the yeast at room temp, and you know that's great for yeast growth. But you're going to want to uh, chill that starter down and decan it in the fridge and so on, yeah. and get, basically take your take your yeast back to zero. You know, get them get them back to a ground state, and then when you pitch them to your uh, to your wort, it's going to be at you know a, 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 at your pitching temperature. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna acclimate to that temperature, um, especially if you you know if they've been part of a, a good healthy starter, they'll acclimate quickly. Um, but if you if you throw them from room temperature right. starter to a cold wort, they're going to go into thermal shock. So yeah, you can grow them at room temp, but that you're going to need to put them in the fridge and chill them down, and so that when they see that new wort, it's not it's not a thermal it's not a hot to cold thermal shock. Uh, that's kind of what I do too uh, when I'm doing a, a lager yeast starter. Uh, I do do them at uh, room temperature. Uh, they grow better. They're going to grow normal, and it's a pain in the butt to put the stir plate in the in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but at that temperature, my lager used to going to throw off all kinds of esters that I don't want in my beer, and it goes back to your question right. about uh, do I decant? Right. Yeah, I want to decant then because yep. I'm going to have all the kinds of that. But if it's all churned up at 70 degrees, I'm going to be pouring a lot of my yeast out too. So then I've got to put it in the refrigerator. But then, Jamil and I have talked also about thermal shock when you're starting to lower the temperature of these guys, and they're going to put up a, a protein coat and get angry on us. If you've got a pretty big starter, I just put it in the refrigerator, and it does take them down at a fairly slow rate, a uh, few degrees per hour maybe, um, as long as it's a big enough starter. And I noticed that they just start to flocculate better and better, and they're, it's going to be going down fast. I don't crash them. That I don't want them just to, mm-hmm. to freak out and thermal shock them that way. It takes right. a day or two to yeah. get down. Yeah. So if I maybe the night before I'm going to pitch, I'll put it in the refrigerator. If I'm going to pitch late at night, sometimes I do. After I get everything cleaned up and everything, maybe I'll have, that morning I'll put the starter in into the refrigerator. It layers out really nicely, really nice to uh, decan it at that point, and I haven't thermal shocked them. I've gotten them down to the temperature for pitching. I get everything I want out of that. Mm-hmm. Now the the fact is you can grow yeast up to you know uh, up to about ninety eight degrees Fahrenheit you're going to get uh, thirty seven degrees C you're going to get more rapid yeast growth and uh, the 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 
reason you don't want to do that is you can affect your your viability of the the yeast and the stability. One one thing with uh, excessive or rapid yeast growth, uh, you're going to get a, a lower unsaturated uh, fatty acid concentration in the cell walls, and then uh, right. you know permeability and and uh, and weaker cell walls from from the problems from that. So you want to uh, keep the temperature down a bit. Room temperature, you know, in the 65 to 75, you can go up 20 into the to 25 in, C. Yeah, yeah, you can go up in the. Uh, 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 warmer temperatures with your lager yeast, you're going to want to keep it. Uh, you know, let's say you know below the 80s. In the ales, you can get up into the 80s. It's all right. One of the problems with the lager yeast, I think they're much more susceptible susceptible to uh, the petite uh, mutants, uh, oh, respiratory yes. deficient mutants. And the, when you get into those hot temperatures, you get into the 90s, you're definitely going to start generating those. Those yeasts won't flocculate. They won't attenuate properly. Uh, you, you end up with a lot of problems. You're uh, changing way. the strain out pretty much. You know, yeah. It's like marrying your cousin. You just don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. It depends I, on what your cousin looks why like. Why John Palmer know. doesn't have one of these, uh, the yeast pitching rate calculator. Hey, you haven't put that into... Oh, it's, it's in the yeast chapter, actually, but my number is... Chlorograph or whatever you call these things. You know, Nomograph. Yeah. Nomograph, there you Did go. Did you call right. it a what? Well, I don't know. Clitorograph. <laughs> that's what I thought you said, a clitorograph. Yeah. Oh, now that sounds interesting. You start drawing the lines here. That's a different book, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why it stays on the toilet, you know? I have that graph. <laughs> <laughs> Burning your brain. Yeah, another way to bring down uh, you know temperatures, you can add a little bit of wort to uh, your starter and and uh, cooler wort and and bring it down that way, or uh, you know and slowly uh, lower it down. Put in a, a cold water bath or something like that, and and bring it down a little bit towards your your pitching temperature. But like Doc was saying, you know, you go too rapid, uh, you know, they throw up the protein coat, you can cause all sorts of problems for your yeast. How about uh, this thought? Uh and I haven't done this, but it sounds like a pretty nice idea. Uh, maybe you, you have had the starter sitting around there too long. You want to feed him again. Uh, taking some of the beer that you just made, the wort you have, and taking some of that. It's cold. You don't, maybe you don't have to pitch for another six hours or so. Giving them some of that. Acclimate them to what they're about to go into. Mm-hmm. Give right. that a try. Right. You well, feed them get, them, get them going again. And one of the things... Uh that, uh, another question I get from people a lot is, uh, well, can't I just take a little bit of yeast? You know, if I got a two-liter starter and I put a, a, a package of liquid yeast in there and it doubles it, can't I take you know a tenth of that that package of, of liquid yeast, put it in there, and still end up with the same number of cells? No, yeah, no. I, no. There's there's a limit to the amount of growth you're going to get, right? There's that growth right. curve, and then there's yeah. also. Um, you know the base cells that you start with. If you're starting with 100 billion, you're, that's additive to whatever you're going to end up with. Uh, if you're starting with 10 billion, uh, you know you're you're 90 billion short right there. Well, that goes know. back to your curve. Uh, taking one vial and putting it in five gallons. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a tenth of a vial and put it in one gallon. Right. Uh, not going to equate. It's just yeah, it's not going to equate. Right. And so there's some to some extent you can do that. You you're not going to get quite the amount of growth. Uh, you know it'll hit that curve and it starts to to fade out. Uh, so there are limits to it, and certainly you can you know extend your yeast that that way. But uh, you know you might be better off looking at repitching yeast. Yes. Uh, in order to, to if you're you're looking at cutting the uh, the costs down. 
Now, but, Justin, uh, do, do we have some uh, questions from the chat room? We do. A few questions for you guys. A lot of people enjoying the starter show today. Been a long time coming. Uh, here's a good question somebody asked. Hey, if I ever get rich and can afford to buy four vials instead of making an equivalent starter, which method would then be better? Four vials still built up from a starter or just buying four vials? Um, that's uh, that's Doc's lazy method. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I don't get around to making the starter, something comes up. I'll I can pitch I'll pitch four or five vials in, into uh, you will yeah and well, and do you notice your it, beer it, no I always worry about the viability and and the you know waking them up yeah there's a trade off there there's a trade off mm-hmm. I'm putting more more in there but they're still gonna be a little sleepy it'd be okay. it'd be better off if I could put two vials into a quick starter and and get them in there too I'd use the extra money to pay your child to make the starter for but, you. But I, I have done that. Go. I have right. used that method. It's it's not a money-saving kind of thing. It's uh, more of a, mm-hmm. oops, uh, or the same emergency. My, something happened with my starter. I've had a starter uh, where stuff's grown on top that I just didn't trust. Maybe it should have been there. Maybe it shouldn't have. Uh, I just don't trust it. Or I, I wanted to change strains. I decided not to go with that strain that was in the starter. I changed beer directions. Uh, yeah, I, I've pitched a lot of, a few more. Well, Nick and I were talking about this on the on the drive out here, and uh, you know, one of the things is uh, even even if you had those four vials, you would want to put those into a little bit of starter, maybe uh, you know, uh, uh, four vials, let's say a half liter, and uh, you know, get those active before you put them into your beer, because you know, like Doc's saying, they they do they can tend to go dormant and uh, you know there are some things they could use some time to build up their glycogen reserves things like that get their their yeah. cell walls uh, kind of uh, in good shape again so uh, no matter what uh, unless it's coming fresh off the line from the yeast manufacturer i would uh, always do some sort of starter the same okay. goes too if you if you're repitching from your slurry that you've had sitting for a while you know you store your yeast for two weeks instead of pouring using the yeast pitch rate calculator to pour that amount in your beer. If it's been sitting for two weeks in your fridge, you might want to pot toss into a starter before you put it back mm-hmm, in your beer. That's right. That's same thing uh, for vials or packages that have been you know, sitting for uh, you know three months. Again, yeah. you, you want to kind of wake those up. Same thing if you if you had harvested some yeast and you know save that in your fridge for three months, you wouldn't just go pitch that straight in, right? You would right. you would take some right. time to get that active again. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's about activity. I've done it where I, I only had a few vials and just want to wake them up just quickly, twelve hours if I have to. Uh, I want a short lag time, any way you look at it, and you can't overpower it with numbers, uh, but uh, you, you're better off just. Pushing the start, if you've got a few hours, maybe at the starting of uh, of your brew day. Even that would help. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then another question. You guys kind of covered this. Uh, just to reiterate, someone asked, you know, how long can I keep a starter for? Do, do I have to pitch at high croissant? Was this question, or can this thing no, sit around? No, you, you put it in the fridge, let it, uh, you know, let it all settle out. You decant the, the wort, and then you're kind of in that, you know, repitching yeast zone where you're at 100% viability. The longer it sits, your viability drops. The glycogen reserve, reserves, trailose reserves, they start to drop, and... Uh, uh, you know, you end up yeah. having to start over. Yeah, but it could uh, sit when, in that fridge for a couple of days. Yeah, okay. yeah, a couple yeah. weeks even. I mean, yeah. although you know, use it within the week. Yeah, okay. if you're going to go a couple of weeks, you might want to pitch that start into over a new again. starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. use that the, into a new starter. The okay. critical factor there is oxygen exposure. Once, I mean, if you've got you know yeast that have have gone through high croissant and now they're going dormant, uh, if you put those in the fridge, they'll they'll stay you know in a, in a hibernation state for quite a period of time. 
you know, a week, two weeks. If they're exposed to oxygen that time, though, they're going to have to start using those reserves that they've built up. Okay. So that's why, that, you know, if you can minimize oxygen time and temperature in the fridge, you can keep that vitality up. But if you were to, say, take that, you know, you get that starter done, you set it out on the counter, oh, within days, you know, with oxygen exposure, they're gonna, you're going to be back down where you started, and you have to do the whole starter thing all over again. Okay. Uh, here's a clarification, something that Doc said about his process. Uh, this listener says, I've been following Randy Mosher's uh, starter method uh, in the Brewer's Companion, and he says to boil your starter for 30 minutes. The person wants to know, did I understand right that 15 minutes is okay? Yeah, if if you're if you're using DME, I'll right. jump in here for Doc. If five minutes is fine, yeah. I, I mean want, you're just sanitizing. I want to sanitize. That's mostly what I do. But if you look at it, it starts out kind of cloudy, and you'll see the hot break mm-hmm. come up again with the egg drop soup looking thing. And by the time fifteen minutes, it's it's almost clear with chunks in there, especially at the foam control. Yeah. Happens and like it that. does. So all I wanted, and it's I let it sit while I get the water bath going. So it's above 180 degrees for mm-hmm. a, a little while after that too. Okay, so even longer than really right. stronger than the boil. I, I think it's again diminishing returns about yeah. uh, boiling it that long. Okay, uh, here's a good question: What the hell is osmotic shock? Because <laughs> if we could do that simply, uh, it's a band from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good band name. Yeah, wouldn't it'd it? be a one-hit wonder. Uh, if you put something more if, hits than we have right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you put uh, something into a more concentrated solution than the internal of whatever it is, uh, one thing I like to used to do as a kid was take a saltwater fish and throw it in the freshwater tank and the other way around. <laughs> of course you did. Course the psychopathic did. youth <laughs> yeah. of Dr. Uh, Scott. The the what happens is the more concentrated wants to. Uh, Water. The less concentrated wants to dilute, the more concentrated. So if uh, the the cell goes in there and, and inside him is less concentrated and you put him into a big concentrated thing, it wants to almost suck, uh, the, liquid suck the liquid right out of him. And the cell wall's got to hold that back until it can kind of uh, slowly uh, equalize. Just like yeah, everything, yeast in space. Just yeah, everything <sighs> tries to equalize right. across any, any gradient, right? So uh, any permeable membrane and... And uh, what's what's going to happen is the yeast have to do things like keeping alcohol out and, uh, you know, uh, keeping uh, water in or out and, and, and various uh, concentrations well, of lot, sugars, things like that. A lot like of sugar that. outside, much, so. in, a lot of sugar and no sugar inside. They can do it up to a certain gradient, a difference there. But when you put a big difference in there, it's going to shock them a lot. Okay. Maybe. And if they've already been through the ringer and have not such good cell walls anymore... Uh, the viability is going to go down quite a bit. One more thing. Okay. Got it. Affirmative action. Okay. Uh, <laughs> here's a size question. Does the size of the stir bar matter? matter. <laughs> size always matters. <laughs> you want motion. Yeah. It probably depends on the size of the uh, of the star, of the starter vessel, I would assume, right? right? Yeah. You, get you a just big want old, to turn the thing. Big old vessel. Yeah. That you need to be stirring. Yeah, you got to be able you, to hit the sides. You, yeah, you got to get that. that <laughs> you got to have, have a good sized bar. Yeah, yeah. know how to know how to spin that thing. Right. Uh, but my, the smaller ones can spin faster. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. all how you use it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one I use in my five gallon carboy, uh, it's actually got a knob on the end, oh. both ends. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's two sided. You have to have the barbell one if you have a dome. Uh, so that it stays in the it center. It stays in the Otherwise, it just flips off and, and, and flies to the side. Okay. And that's a whole different trick to get that barbell one into the middle. 
All I've right. got tricks for that one, too. Uh, any opinions about using Pilsner malt for your starters instead? Of, uh, That's fine. You can use any all malt. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. It'll work just fine. Oh, yeah. It's just... But you, you, don't, you just want to be careful that uh, you're not creating a lot of uh, real long-chain dextrins. You know, so lower mash temps, uh, you know, simpler sugars. Okay. Uh, you know, maltose is what you're shooting for. All yeah. right. It, yeah. Like we were saying earlier, you know, kind of, you, to some degree, you target your your starter uh, wort to your to your beer style to some degree uh, to keep the you know so the the yeast um, grow and acclimate to that kind of environment. Um, the I but it's not. Unless, You're talking about free amino nitrogen, right. Minerals, things yeah. like that. Not uh, it's not that not big a deal most of the time. Uh-huh. But you know the real the real difference is you don't want to try to grow yeast simply on glucose or sucrose. Very simple sugars. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to use at least uh, malt extract, uh, if not a you know a real all malt wort, because that's that's the profile of the wort they're going to be going into. They generate the enzymes to ferment that kind of wort. Um, sh- simple sugars won't do it, but most of the time you don't have to be that particular about it. You can, I mean, uh, Pilsner malt, sure, yeah, you can do a do a mash. You know, uh, target the fermentability of that mash that you intend to brew with. But you really don't have to be that specific because you're not trying to make beer so much as you're trying to grow yeast. And I, I mean, you guys, you know, make wort and can it. I always use malt extract. I don't. I rarely have leftover, you know, wort that I've saved. I'm, I'm well, just, I, I do it from malt extract. I take DME, okay. you know, the ten to one ratio, in, right. in directly in a mason jar with a pinch of okay. Servomyces, and then uh, I seal it up, put it in the pressure cooker. I get sterile wort, uh, and then it's good for a See, year. This could be a years. whole show on sterility. Cheap, easy you know, ways to do we're gonna we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to do me. probably another four starter shows <laughs> yeah, in order yeah. to really cover it all. The, well, one the main thing is keep the starter making it make it simple. Okay, uh, use DME. All right. Uh, one last starter question, uh, size question, sorry, for you, Doc. Uh, <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, right? Uh, well, just that you, you when you're talking about. Uh, Stepping up? Please. No, reducing the temperature uh, okay. so that it, so that you could uh, decant and pitch. And right. What you had said was it's fine to put it in a fridge as long as it's a big enough starter. Right. But you didn't specify what you meant. So people ask, what are you considering a big enough well, starter? Uh, you, you don't want to decant what you got and then put it in a uh, you know, 12-ounce kind of c- container. A 2,000-milliliter Erlenmeyer is fine. So that you can put in the fridge and right. it will cool down slow enough to it's, not shock it. It's got it. a big thermal mass to okay. it. And... Uh, it, you just don't want to put it in an ice bath and just crash it. Okay. And uh, just having it in a, a norm. Don't put it in the freezer. Just put it in in the refrigerator. Cover it, and it, it'll cold, come down slow enough to where it doesn't shock the yeast so much. Okay. And then let me squeeze in one last question because I thought it was a good one. Um, someone had just asked, "Hey, is there any difference in all the processes you're talking about for this starter if you're doing an all grain batch?" Or an extract batch. No, same same nope. thing. It's 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 really uh, volume of the beer you're going to ferment, and uh, you gravity know, of the beer, gravity of the beer, and whether it's ale, lager, or hybrid. And uh, I'd encourage everyone to go to MrMalty.com, not because uh, I make like a ton of money off of 
the site, but because um, there's a lot of good starter information there. I got the the 14 uh, questions about starters. It's uh, a good read, and uh, the pitching rate calculator will help you out quite a bit. Feel free to. One thing I think a lot of people don't do is mess around with the uh, the uh, the growth rate. You can move that slider any way you want. You know, to very little growth and lots of vials or packages, or all the way to lots of growth and the fewest number of uh, packages of, of liquid yeast and. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's okay. Either way, will work just fine. You can go to a larger starter, smaller starter, whatever you want, or you can uh, you know do multiple steps. I, I need to add some more instructions to that thing. But it's that all about the package. There's also some uh, good and basic starter information at one of our sponsors' website. If you go to morebeer.com, you could search around for some starter info. Mm-hmm. There may even be a video now of Ooh. doing a starter there. I know they've been doing a lot of videos lately, but uh, morebeer.com has some With starter package, info. Packaging room girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> talk about it. You must have got something good. Ben. Well, yeah. no. I I mean, she takes her 50-pound sack of grain off her shoulder and then the one off the other shoulder and... Yeah, nice lady. <laughs> Does something for you, huh? Right, for that's it from the chat. That's why he likes the German women, See. too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> able to carry the uh, eight liters at once. <laughs> Man, that's impressing. Uh, uh, the stories this guy got of, uh, you know, wandering into, uh, uh, you know, houses of ill repute by accident, uh, you know, priceless. You guys got to hear these stories, I'm telling you. Priceless. Okay. Uh, all right, so so that's starters. We're we're uh, uh, I think all in agreement that no matter how well off you are, Bill Gates himself as as a as a brewer should be uh, making a starter, even though he can buy all the the, the packages of yeast he wants. He should be making a starter right. with that, if, if just yeah. to activate things, get them out of uh, you know get those yeasts ready to ferment. Uh, Making a starter is very simple. Uh, oh, let, let me uh, not le- neglect. If you're making a dry, if you're taking using dry yeast, you don't right. need to make a starter. You should properly rehydrate them, regardless of what the package says from the manufacturer. Yeah, just sprinkle it, sprinkle it on. Spray, yeah, no. No, 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 don't do that. For the pro brewers, they tell them to rehydrate. You should be rehydrating too. It's very simple and uh, will get you much more, uh, much higher viability. Probably double your viability. You so can, don't don't throw in half dead yeast. You right. can find instructions on uh, beer, beer, more beer on that too on rehydrating yeah. your yeast. Yeah, lots, lots of good information on that. All right, so you're gonna you're gonna make a starter. You're gonna take a ten to one uh, ratio. You're gonna use a, a gram of DME to ten mils of water, and uh, that's gonna give you an approximate uh, starter gravity in the ten thirty five, ten forty range, depending on your DME and how human things are. Uh, you boil that. You don't need any hops. You're going to boil that. And you're going to need, let's say, uh, you know, from the, the pitching rate calculator, you figure out how much starter you need. And you're going to boil that up on the stove in a in a safe vessel. Erlenmeyer flasks are great because you can just put them right on the stove and boil in that. And then it's all sanitized and ready to go. Cover it with a piece of foil. Uh, pinch a yeast nutrient before the boil. I'm sorry. Uh, cover it with foil. Chill that thing down, then you can put your your yeast in there. Uh, if you have a stir plate, great. If you don't, uh, just shake it. If you can shake that uh, in my my test, if you're able to uh, shake it every uh, every half hour, you had a lot more enjoyment. No, you had a lot more uh, yeast growth. It actually is nearly as effective as having a stir plate. Okay, so if you could if you could just walk around shaking your giving a your your uh, your Erlenmeyer uh, a swirl uh, continuously, you uh, that's pretty much almost the same thing as a, as a stir plate. So uh, you don't necessarily have to have a stir plate. Um, it's just easier, and uh, there's lots of cheap ways to build your own. Uh, once you get that, you can go ahead and uh, do those starters at room temperature. Not a problem, you know, as long as room temperature is, you know, in the 80s or below. 
once that's done, if your if your volume of starter is is such that you don't want to put all that into your beer, understandable. Uh, you know, only for average gravity ales is that really acceptable. Otherwise, you put it in the fridge, let it chill down, let the yeast settle out, decant off the spent wort, and then you can put that yeast into your beer, or you can even you know add a little more starter to it, get it raging, and dump that whole thing into your uh, into your beer. Uh, did I forget anything? Pretty good wrap up. I, I think, think so. Good. Yeah. 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 All right. Make starters. Peanut peanut group uh, peanut calorie. Uh, oh yeah. There we go. Thanks, everybody. Uh, if you uh, get a chance, visit the Brewing Network store. It's a chance to pick up a signed copy by both uh, John Palmer and myself of Brewing Classic Styles. Uh, there are uh, shirts available, hoodies. Check out the new hoodies. Lots of great stuff in the uh, the Brewing Network store. Also, if you get a chance, uh, you might want to uh, hit that donate button, and you can uh, uh, help your t-shirts us uh, coming in next week, keep, right? keep the... Uh, New t-shirts uh, coming in? New t-shirts coming in. That's right. Oh, Bruce Strong t-shirts. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh See, that? I knew John was around here from, other than his good <laughs> looks. Uh, Bruce Strong t-shirts should be here next week. And I tell you, they are sweet. I am going to be sporting a Bruce Strong t-shirt, and I hope you are too. I will. It's uh, excellent stuff. They and, go fast, uh, too. Yeah, they'll, they'll sell out. We, we did a run of Bruce Strong shirts earlier, and it's totally gone by the time everyone's like, oh, I thought there were shirts. No, uh, gone. <laughs> you so, saw uh, one? Buy it. Uh, you know, keep watching the store and uh, jump all over those when they do come in. I think you're you're going to really, the real cool artwork on this. Uh, yeah. Uh, very cool shirts. And um, also, uh, you know, uh, BYO. John and I both write for BYO, and you can get a subscription in uh, on the Brewing Network that, uh, and you know, a good half of that uh, subscription goes to the Brewing Network. So that's, that's a that's nice. a good generous cut there. So uh, you know, sign up for BYO if you get a chance. And uh, we will be back uh, in two weeks. If you listen to podcast or if you listen live, just just hang on, and we'll we'll be up with another show here just briefly. Yep, talking about sanitation. Sanitation. Hey. See ya. All right, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. <laughs>